welcome to the Striking Thoughts podcast. I'm Lee Sims and thank you for joining me. Before we start about today's guest, I want to provide you with just a few updates. I'm teaching a joint practical karate seminar with Ian Abernethy on Sunday the 2nd of February in Birmingham. The event is pretty much sold out, but if you want to attend, please do get in touch as soon as possible. Then on the 23rd of February, I'll be teaching a workshop covering UK self-defense law, and that will be in Guildford. This event has been hosted by Les Bubka of Shinaido Karate, and I'll put his details in the show notes if you'd like to attend. And then in May, I'll be teaching an open karate seminar along with Dan Kame, um, 7th and of Kasaki Kai Karate. You can find more details on all these events on my website, which is www.leesims.com. That's Lee, L-E-I-G-H, Sims, S-I-M-M-S dot com. And if you haven't been to the website before, you'll note that there is a link on there to my karate book called 10 Keys to Unlocking Practical Katabunkai. The book retails for about £9.99, but you can get an online version for free over on the website. As well as the website, you can find news updates on Facebook. Just search for Lee Sims Progressive Karate, and my page will pop up. And I'm also on Twitter, and that's at Lee Sims. The YouTube channel is slowly building, so you can go over to that channel. It's called Karate Kata Bunkai, and that's all one word, Karate Kata Bunkai. No spaces, and you can see what's over there at the moment. And not to forget Instagram, which is at Lee Sims Karate. And this is probably my most used social media platform as I'm able to post shorter videos and images on a more regular basis. So again, that's at Lee Sims Karate over on Instagram. Okay, so today's guest is Chris Hansen. Now, during the podcast, we talked about how we initially um, came across each other. So I won't discuss this here, but Chris has been practicing karate for decades and has a really interesting take on both training and teaching karate. I always enjoy talking to Chris because of his enthusiasm and passion for karate, and um, I hope you'll enjoy listening. We did speak for a little longer than planned, so my talk with Chris will be split over two podcasts. I bring you part one of two. I hope you enjoy. Okay, I'm here with Chris Hansen. Chris, hi. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, good morning. You're based in Canada, yes? Yes, sir. North of Toronto in a, a town called Stouffville. Um, so, if you want to just give um, people some idea of your background and how you started in martial arts, where you've been training, and what's led you to where you are now? Sure. I'm uh, born and raised in Toronto, Canada. Uh, we're a family of three. Uh, I'm currently a school teacher, uh, and formerly I was a, a software guy, so I changed careers. Um, I started karate uh, at around 10 years old. Um, I uh, focused on uh, Shoin Ru. Um, I, I take my Nidan there, um, and then I cross-trained in, in Kempo. My teacher studied with uh, Grandmaster Ed Parker in the States, um, and then uh, he, uh, he gave him permission to bring back uh, you know, the, the Kempo to Canada and express it any way he likes. So um, he uh, taught me uh, his version of, of American Kempo and kind of uh, you know, put his personal twist on it, which in my opinion was a very open template, so I got attracted to that. So I kind of uh, veered towards uh, the Kempo uh, for a long time, and I attained my uh, third dan there. Um, he passed away a few years ago, and he gave me the the, uh, the, the curriculum, along with a, a couple of other senior belts, uh, to um, basically carry on uh, carry on, you know, his his uh, his legacy. 
Um, and then during that time, I was cross-training in various other uh, sport arts um, and reality-based systems. So right now, I train out of an MMA gym, as you and I, uh, you know, we, we keep in touch. You, you know, you're aware of that. I, yeah. I, I train in an MMA gym, uh, Sam Lupini Gym, uh, in East York here in Toronto. Um, I uh, We do uh, uh, boxing, sabbat, Muay Thai. Um, and uh, I mix, I use uh, Krav Maga as well. Um, and I find that is my mixing mixing ground and testing ground for karate. Um, and as far as teaching goes, I've been teaching for the last 15 to 20 years. Um, I teach privately uh, to uh, uh, good friends and family. Um, I haven't really had the time uh, nor the uh, uh, the entrepreneurial to scale really big. Um, so I, I'm really happy with, with, with what I'm doing right now. I, I travel and train and, and teach abroad. Um, and so, I mean, at, at this stage of my life, I'm quite happy with how that's going. Um, I, I came to visit you uh, in July. Yeah, not too long ago. There, and that went really well. Um, it was so amazing to meet you finally. And uh, uh, we meet a lot of uh, other John's, John's associates. Um, and uh, now I'm going to Australia in the summer. So Yeah, I feel like we should give a shout out to um, John Titchen for organizing that and getting you across here. Yeah, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> That was a great time to set that all up and like I said, finally get to meet you because we, I think um, you reached out, I want to say about maybe a year, maybe a year and a half ago to me on um, on Instagram, yeah. just to say you've seen a few of my stuff and you know, just keep, just keep up with the work and it's good to see the, the material getting put out there. So that was my, um, and I, I think we had a bit of a back and forth a few times, exchanged some messages and then John said he's having a um, Chris from Karate Unity to come over to the UK earlier this year, and it took me a few minutes to to reconcile that 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 Chris is the same Chris as the one I've been chatting to on Instagram, and and then I clicked in. I was like, oh yeah, Chris, yeah, great, yeah, I can't wait to meet him. I can't believe it's it's come about so fast. So yeah, no, appreciated you coming over here, and it was good to get you know hand hand on hand and um and train with you. So. Let's just take it back because you mentioned, I think, something really interesting on your Kempo days. Um, that is quite an open syllabus. I come from a, well, from a Shotokan background, but a lot of Shotokan clubs, which I would go and train with outside my own organization, were quite strict and rigid and the syllabus was very set. Um, so, for, for example, the, the, we have the one-step sparring, um, Ippon Kumite, we used to call it. Now, in my group, we were always encouraged Yes, at the start, you'd learn, you know, do a low block reverse punch, do a high block reverse punch. You learn like set techniques, set defenses to attacks. But within a few months, you were, you were asked to look into the cats, develop what works for you, and you'd have quite a free range. And I, I noticed that, that that was different to the other Shotokan clubs I would go and train with during that time. So I was just wondering how the American Kempo you did and you were taught. Maybe varies from the other Kempo associations around you. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, the the differences are all really, I think, driven by you know the teacher and 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 and, and their needs and uh, um and their learning styles. Like I, the Kempo that I I, I was I, I had Vic Arnold was my my teacher and he's the founder of uh, Dynasty Kempo. Um, and when he trained under uh, Ed, uh, kept kept a lot of, of Ed's teachings in a sense that there's a lot of flow. So yeah, American Kempo uh, is very similar to a lot of the Chinese arts uh, mm-hmm. that uh, Ed Parker learned under because Ed, Ed learned a lot of uh, Hawaiian style Kempo. Uh, 
Um, and when I say Hawaiian style, it's heavily Chinese influenced. So there's lots of circular checks, passes, movements. The, the, the footwork is very uh, dynamic. Um, and they learn things in sets. So there, it is very kata-based, but I would say micro-kata. So sure. people like, you know, um, uh, you know, our moves, our movement sets in uh, Shoyanru is about, on average, 25 to 30 move now. Um, and so uh, the tempo that I, I was taught, we would take, say, a form. It would still it would be a set, but we would do it sets of four movements. And then we would, we would flow with it. We would flow. We would say we learn another set of four, and we would flow between those eight. Mm-hmm. Just keep flowing, 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 and that's how we would learn. And then we would we would we would spar, um, and then we would learn another set. And we would just we would just it was I like that format. So um, that's what that's what Vic has done. So Vic has basically taken the set forms and he's broken it out. And and not only that, he encouraged lots of cross training, which to me that was a light bulb that went off, and that kind of made me bear away from. That I was learning. I have been cross trained uh, in other American campo systems. I've, I've met instructors and uh, met them and, and spoken to them at, at different events. And we've kind of touched hands a bit. But uh, um, just from their experience, um, uh, Vic Arnold has more or less kept the same idea uh, behind Ed Parker. Um, meaning, you know, you, 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 learn, you learn these techniques. But you break it, you break it, break it away, and you have the freedom to mix in other systems as you see fit. So I mean, really, Ed, Ed Parker and Bruce Lee, uh, whether you know Bruce influenced Ed or Ed influenced Bruce, who knows? But 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 what they both have in common is the whole JKD. Anything goes. Absorb what is useful. Re- uh, reject what is useless. Kind of approach. Kind of thing. Um, and and I, I find at a very high level, uh, high level martial artist, when when you get to that level, I, that's a natural realization where you know you break free from sets, um, and you it's there, but it's there like it's there on the shelf. You, you take take it out and you use it based on you know what you need. So the the campo that I'm I'm doing it, uh, that I'm doing currently and also uh, that I'm integrating into my uh, my expression of karate. I'm still keeping, you know, all these sets in place. I, I, I'm, I'm a lover of kata. I, I mean, I, I was born and raised with karate, so I, I can't, it's hard to let that go. But I kind of put it on the shelf and I take bits and pieces out when I need it. Yeah. All oh, right, that makes sense. So how long have you, have you been training before you moved into the um, American Kempo? Yeah, so prior to, the, uh, prior to that style, uh, I, w- I wouldn't say it's it's um, if uh, if Vic was alive, he would he would have an issue uh, with the American uh, part. Yeah, it's American yeah. temple because uh, he kind of Canadianized it and made it Vic Vic's temple. But prior to that, I trained in Shoinru uh, for about fourteen years. Okay, well, was there a reason for the for the move across to the Kempo? or yeah, yeah there was. Um, like I said, it, it was an open forum. Like I. In in Shoinru, when I was training in, in Shoinru, uh, I loved it for its uh, regimentation. Like I I knew nothing better. So um, we learned lots of kihon wazas. Uh, we would do it over a series of months. Like I would sit in horse dance and horse dance and, and chamber punches and, and and do all the blocks and 
and things like that for like months and months and months. I was learning uh, Fukukata 1 and 2 uh, like for almost a year. And I didn't think anything of it. So I, I just did it. But as I started picking up pace and I, I, I started to eat that up really quickly and I needed more. I needed to see how it all made sense. And just naturally, I needed to spar with it and things like that. And, and so the Kempo gave me that 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 outlet. It relieved a lot of that pressure. So because and I just found I, I just found these guys by mistake. Um, one of my good friends, he he was he actually was inspired by what I did. So, but the thing is, he couldn't travel to, to my dojo because it was too far. So he ended up looking for somebody else, and this somebody else was Master Arnold. Um, and so we just compared notes. Like he, he told me, he says, "Hey Chris, I'm training at a karate club. Thanks to you." And I said, "Oh great." And so then we just, you know, said, "Hey, show me some stuff you're doing." And and then he, he showed me all these flow movements and how he says, you know, my sensei picked this up from boxing and he picked this up from goju and he picked this up from aikido and he picked this up from from sistema and this and that. And like I was going, "Holy macro!" So then I was saying to myself, "Okay." I think I need to meet your teacher. So, yes. <laughs> and then the rest is history. Putting the candle at both ends, man. And back in the day, like in the 80s, that was taboo, you know. Uh, but I did it anyway. <laughs> well, let, let, let's, let's, move, let's move on then from, from that. I think, I think an interesting point to look at will be then um, the training methodology, which you have in the Kempo. Which I think it's um, really important and influence what you what you train and do at the moment. Um, obviously, it allows for that cross-training aspect as well. And compared to, say, the more traditional, if, if I can put it that way, karate schools. So just a bit of a background. I don't spend hours doing line work with my students. Um, they do, let's give them a forward stance for an example. Right? My students practice the forward stance in lines. So I can see that they understand you've got to drive their weight forward. You've got to move their body forward. You've got to get their body moving in a certain way. Um, and then once they've, once they've got that idea, it's not going to be a perfect stance, but you get the idea. Then I lock them with a partner and they've got to be able to, you know, show me how they use their stance against a partner. Or then we'll do some, um, some pad work or some impact generation. And you've got to show me how they're using their body to move to hit hard. So that that's and and those two areas, the sparring and the connection with the partner and hitting things hard. I spend a lot more time doing with my students than I do the line work. And I'm just wondering how it used to be for you and what it's like now. And if what I what I've just said is similar at all. We we're very similar. Um, being a uh, being a school teacher in, in an elementary school system, I developed a. I find the teaching the teaching methodology is really uh, informed my teaching in karate. Uh, so, for example, it's it's very. Uh, I teach to the energy that's presented. So, sure. what, I, what I mean is, I have a class of uh, let's just say twenty five students. There are twenty five individuals. There are twenty five different ways of learning with different emotional uh, and psychological mindsets. Very difficult to teach one particular thing to to all of them, right? And so, I find that you know the the, the karate that I was raised in was a very one-size-fits-all kind of thing. So we would all learn the same stance, the same punches, and we would all be adjusted the same way the teacher would come across and adjust our fists and make all the articulate all our limbs so it all looks the same. Um, and and I, I understand why, but to me personally, uh, that's a fundamental error because everyone's bodies are different and everyone learns differently. 
And so if you take away all those things and you just look at understand where where are the students, what's the students' goals, what, what do they want to learn? So for example, if that's one of the beauties of me teaching privately because they come to me based on what they've heard of me. Yeah. So they come to me with a specific goal focus. A lot of my students, uh, my private students, they're adults. And they come to me, they'll say, look, I've trained in this, this, and this. I, I'm looking for ways to improve my, my footwork. And so they'll pay me to, 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 to teach them how to clean that up. Um, some other students will come to me and say, look, I'm fresh into the art. I want to learn. I want to learn karate. I want to learn the, the art form. And I said, okay, well, that's a big thing. Like, well, and then after some interviewing, I find out exactly what they want to learn. So they want to learn, for example, some of my, some of my students, they, they, they have like about 15 years of kickboxing um, and they've done some uh, some karate and some kung fu. And what they wanted to know is they wanted to know how to piece together kata and application. So I was like, oh, you come to the right place. This is exactly where I'm at with my karate. So, hey. So what we would do is then is very different. Uh, so I wouldn't teach them uh, a lot of the line drills um, because, because they had mobility from boxing and, mm. and, and, and kickboxing and things like that. They knew how to move already. So what I did was I, I taught them the various stances in karate and then showed them how you can mobilize that uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a live setting and how they're not really really used for they're not really meant, in my opinion, uh, to to uh, in a sport context. They're meant to actually crash in and stop things from getting even es- from escalating. Yeah, you, you've so, got you, yeah, you've got what I call um like it's like purpose built training. So yeah. you, you work out what the purpose of the training is and, and, and then you, you build the training around that. So when you're in a school setting and you've got about 10 to 15 students, how do you separate the time with that class? Like how much time do you spend now in your classes, say doing line work or doing sparring yeah. drills? How does that work? So just an interest. So I'm just wondering how you, how you separate the time out. Yeah, yeah. Great question. Uh, so you see, um, in a school setting, it has to be more of a, Mass manufacturing type of approach, uh, but it's got to be got to be done kind of intelligently. So my class right now is actually uh, my, uh, it's an extracurricular out of my elementary school, and my class size is about close to thirty five students. So I have a I have a base of thirty five. So these guys come in. It's a it's a gymnasium. I, I get them all lined up. So they're they're in line formation. Uh, we do the bow and this and that and start drilling. The the drills the drills are Line drills, um, and 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 uh, then I separate them based on on uh, on skill level. So we'll do a whole bunch of line drills just to refresh and 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 integrate and introduce them to new things and old things. Okay, um, so we'll do some review and then I'll teach them some new things and and I'll all be in a line format. Sometimes it'll be in a circuit circular format where they're all seeing me, right? And I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm part of the circle. But the point is. We'll do everything as a group, and then what I'll do is I'll I'll split them off into stations. Um, so they'll they'll be in different parts of the gym, either working on some equipment or working on a solo drill, or 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 uh, based on uh, if there's uh, if there's some kids that are are showing uh, you know uh, efficacy in, in in a particular area, like they're showing some leadership and they're getting it, I'll put them as leaders, technical leaders, where. They're actually uh, running running the drill in, in these centers. Now I'll just basically uh, you know facilitate and go around and do that. And I find that that's an efficient use of time, and I can maybe get through say about three or four concepts uh, in in one session. 
and then we'll come back to the group and then we'll do we'll do all the review and then I'll have a showcase where I'll get the, get a chance for them to to showcase what they've learned and I'll partner them up and I'll assess them and we'll do a bow out and that's the class. How much of what you do now is based on your teaching profession and your, your what you've learned there compared to your karate background? Okay, perfect. That, that's a good question. I, I can answer that. Thank you for listening to part one of the interview. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to ensure you receive part two and all future podcasts. Also, check out the show notes below to access our social media pages and website.